Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest this week is music producer Niraj Mayak, an ex-pharmacist turned influential spiritual teacher and holistic health expert. First of all, let's talk about neighboring rights. Not many artists know about this, and it's something they should. What is a neighboring right? Well, it's called that because it's a royalty that sits next to the music composition but only in live performance. So in some countries, if someone performs your song, for instance, you get paid for it. Also, if someone broadcasts or performs your song on the radio, you also get paid. Now, not every country recognizes neighboring rights, especially the United States. If you take notice, the United States never pays a performer, an artist, for airplay. The songwriters do, however, get paid. This battle has been going on and on and on for quite some time where the broadcasters refuse to pay and their lobbying efforts have paid off. So Congress has never actually passed a law for performers to get paid. That being said, other countries, that's not the case. And in terms of neighboring rights, in 1961, all the countries got together in Rome and agreed to compensate performers that didn't formally agree to have their material broadcast. The U.S. didn't attend because, of course, they didn't need to from the standpoint that they don't do that anyway. So as a result, the United States doesn't pay out for neighboring rights and therefore doesn't collect them either. That means that artists are missing out on a whole new royalty stream that they may not be aware of. So in other words, if your song is played on the radio in Germany... You have the German PRO collect the money as a songwriter, but as an artist, you're entitled to some money as well. This is a pretty big business, about $2.6 billion last year, and the estimate is that there's tens of millions of dollars that are falling through the cracks. So if you think that's you and you might be owed some money, there is something that you can do. Go to the Independent Alliance for Artists' Rights. This is IAFAR. .co.uk. Now, this organization does not collect money, but it does offer guidance and advice. One of the problems is that this isn't too transparent, even if you're an artist in countries that do observe neighboring rights, for instance, Germany or the UK. Usually what you'll get is a lump sum from the collecting agency, and it doesn't really tell you much about where it's coming from. So the IAFAR is trying their best to get this all changed and to get people paid out. So check that out if you think you're owed money, because chances are you are. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyoinnercircle.com. Don't forget about my online courses on mixing, production, branding, and music business success at bobbyosinskicourses.com. Also, get an expert analysis and objective opinion of your songs and mixes as a member of my Hitmakers Club. Go to hitmakersclub.com to learn more. Now, here's something that's interesting. Gibson has come up with a new aging technology to age guitars so they really look like they're old. Now, of course, they've been doing this for a while. Their master at this is Tom Murphy, and Gibson just created a special lab for him, the Murphy Lab, in the Gibson Custom Shop. But 
he's come up with a new technology to do that. And although we don't know too many details, we've seen some examples, but we don't know the cost yet, one of the problems is that people are worrying about fake 59 and 60 Les Pauls that might be worth a few thousand dollars, but yet are selling for hundreds of thousands. This is actually happening today anyway, because fake 59, 58, 60 Les Pauls, those are the three years that are considered the best for that vintage. It's very difficult to tell if they're real or not. So you might say, well, wait a second. What about serial numbers? Why can't you check the serial number against the shipping ledger to find out if it's real or not? Well, here's the problem. That shipping ledger is missing for just those dates of 50s guitars. For some reason, they could never find it. Gibson is actually offering $59,000 as a reward for coming up with that shipping ledger. So in the meantime, they're wondering what might happen. Now, just as a comparison, Fender does the same thing as well. But Fender has six different levels of aging. The first one is called NOS, or New Old Stock. And it's referred to as if you just bought it new in 1954, or whatever the year of instrument you're buying. The next level is called Closet Classic, which means kept in a case for most of its life, perhaps even forgotten. Then the next one is called Deluxe Closet Classic, or Owned with Pride. Next one is Journeyman Relic, and that means used but not abused. Then there's the Relic. They're in back and still here today. Doesn't really tell you much. And then finally, they have the last level called Heavy Relic, Hard-Fought Wear and Tear. So both these companies are trying really hard to replicate what they did back in the day, back in the 50s and 60s. The only problem is you might get the look, but you might not get the sound. My guest this week is Niraj Nayak, a music producer and self-described renegade pharmacist from the UK and founder of Soma Breath, one of the fastest growing wellness movements fusing ancient techniques with modern science. Naraj is also founder of Breath in Beats, a music collective renowned for their legendary conscious music festivals. Naraj is also the producer of the soundtrack for the famous Wim Hof Method and produces music for many of the world's top therapists and wellness centers. During the interview, we talked about why traditional medicines don't always work, the link between musicians and autoimmune issues, how musicians can better handle stress, and much more. I spoke with Naraj via Zoom from his home in Thailand. I know you started your professional life in the music business, so let's go there. I actually got into the music industry by running my own events. So back in the day, um, you know, there wasn't really any kind of organized this is like 1997. It wasn't so organized uh, to get gigs and things as a DJ. I was more into DJing. And in the new genres of music, it was always better to put your own events on. And I ended up actually putting on an event that lasted like three years, like 2,000 people every month. It was an amazing event. But I was also doing my degree as a pharmacist at the same time. And at one point, I had to kind of make a choice. Uh, also, the, the underground music scene is kind of a murky world. It's not for the faint-hearted. And so I, I ended up 
basically losing everything and ended up being a pharmacist for a few years. And I kind of suppressed actually the music side of me for a while. I was, I mean, pharmacy kills all creativity, man. Getting a job like that, it's, it's really hard to get back into the flow. I mean, I, I still made a few things on the side and I met, actually what happened was I met um, Safta Jaffrey who actually was Muse's manager. He, he, him and John Leckie produced a lot of uh, amazing bands in the UK. And he really loved uh, the music that I had made that was more kind of uh, on this meditative vibe. And he just really loved it. And for actually for a while, he was like acting like my manager, but we also got, we became quite good friends and I got to know him quite well. And he, he pretty much gave me the ins and outs of the music industry and how cutthroat it is and and the fact that a lot of people had sold themselves out and it was so hard to, as an independent artist, to actually even monetize what you're doing because Spotify had come in and that it like literally rocked the entire music industry and a lot of artists are struggling to even earn an income anymore. And, you know, to, the cost of taking a band on tour itself was like so prohibitive so a lot of labels weren't investing so he actually wanted to get out of the music industry he didn't really encourage me to be a part of it and and i would always be ranting to him about what was going on in pharmacy uh in terms of i just i just saw it the whole thing you know for what it was uh you could see you know how it works as a business pretty clearly when you start working there and i think that's the thing with artists we see the stuff that other people might just kind of turn a blind eye to. We, we like, we're more aware of what's really going on. I think we see into things a bit more deeper. And I just saw like the corruption in the healthcare industry. And I was, I'd constantly be ranting at him. And he said, look, why don't you do something in this? To, you know, like he was always like a, um, somebody who's very mission oriented. Like, you know, all the bands he signed had strong messages and, you know, they were all stood for something. So anyway, long story short, I got promote. I, I did a few things. I ended up like, I was really good at getting people off the medications in the, in the pharmacy, but the pharmacists don't like that kind of thing. But that got me promoted in the end. I, I, long story short, I got promoted to the head office of one of the biggest corporations in the UK. And I was kind of come out with this project that could have helped millions of people with their health by giving them like, essential information on their diets and, and things like that and it got quite into it six months into it and basically the entire project got shelved it was probably too controversial and i got really disillusioned and that was it that's when i got hit with like a lightning bolt and ended up basically housebound for a year with an autoimmune disease and I was ready to end it all, literally. But basically what happened was I decided to discover this, this type of meditation music that is really good for changing the state of your brain, brainwave and training music. And I'm really into it. Uh, and I've actually found my passion again for making music. So I started to make this therapeutic music and I started to combine it with my breathing techniques that I'd learned from my Swami who was helping me cure myself from this illness because nothing was working the drugs weren't working you know the doctors basically said you have to have your colon removed i was super depressed and basically by stroke of fate discovering ayurveda meditation 
breathing techniques, combining it with music was some one of the most transformative things. And before I knew it, I healed myself and I created this therapeutic music business. So I was um, licensing this type of therapeutic music to therapists. And, um, and that took me on a bit of a crazy journey. I ended up uh, actually even me. Have you heard of Wim Hof, the Iceman? He's quite famous right now. Yes. And we've, we formed like a little band together and I produced a soundtrack to the Wim Hof method. And, and yeah, for a while we, we did a few things together, but then I went really deep into my own school of breath and my pranayama techniques and, you know, and the system I use to, to heal myself. And, and now that's turned into this global community. We've got like almost thousand instructors around the world. It's growing super fast, especially during this time right now. And I pretty much did what I said I would do with Safta, which was put a message and purpose back to music. So music that retains its spiritual value and purpose, intention, healing and giving a peak state, you know, peak human experience, but that is lasting, not the sex, drugs and rock and roll, you know, and what I was used to, which takes its toll after a while. Like I, I have a lot of friends in the entertainment industry who uh, have come over to what I do now because they're just so burnt out from touring and drugs and and being that rock and roll character and realizing that that was just unfulfilling and wasn't really what they wanted. It's kind of the culture gets manufactured by the media, the, the music media big time. And you'll see artists do stuff that they're just doing it to show off really. They're doing it because it's like rock and roll. But after, the ones who survive... They're like, dude, I wish I'd never done, I'd never partied like I used to. Yeah. And uh, it's amazing the amount of actually musicians and artists who are coming over to, to what we do now. When you were ill, and there's nothing worse than, than being ill and told that you're not going to recover, or you can recover partially, what did you do to pull yourself out of that? What, what did you do to actually fix yourself? That's a great question. So at first I was trying to do the conventional medical route. Um, I kind of surrendered to the system and you'd be on steroids, you'd be on all these like uh, you know, anti-inflammatory drugs. And what drugs do, they're just like the band-aid. They, um, or they're like ice. You know, if you bash your head against the wall, like you get bruised, they're like the ice to bring the inflammation down. But if you keep bashing your head against the wall, it doesn't matter like how much you know ice you got the bruise just gonna keep getting bigger so you gotta just basically the the cure is to stop bashing your head against the wall so i had to figure out what was i doing that was wrong you know what was the wrong what was the thing that was causing the, the problem in the first place this is what the ayurvedic system is all about the ayurvedic system from india is basically you know a chronic autoimmune condition is a energetic disturbance it's a spiritual problem so you've gone off balance somewhere and you have these different energy types vata pitta kapha three different doshas and according to my readings i'm a vata pitta type which is like air and fire and so the whole idea is to balance the vata pitta it's gone off balance right too much fire causes ulcers i was i had ulcer colitis too much air it affects your colon and you get this crazy cycle of ulcers, gas, and uh, bleeding, and you're going to the toilet like 40, 50 times a day. 
And it's uh, so that the treatment is to balance this. And it, it, there's two ways. You've got to look at the emotional, the, the mind, and also the body, the soma. All right. So, so the way to solve the mental issues is the simple understanding, right? Most people hold on to a disease for a reason. It's disease is often of the character of personality. And what is your personality? Personality is all of the conditioning that happened first seven years of your life and then going to school, interacting with teachers, parents, the media. And in the end, you create a reality tunnel. And that reality tunnel becomes like a predictive, like kind of timeline of life events. Like humans are very predictive, predictable. And you can kind of see how somebody's going to evolve, right? By their upbringing. And I um, like literally was sucked into a career that I didn't want to do. And my passion was music. You know, creativity is my passion. So I was very frustrated. My personality was angry, frustrated, full of hate and kind of vengeful. I wanted to take down the pharmaceutical industry, you know, I had all of these like traits of a rebel who's angry and frustrated. And when you hold on to fire, so what Buddha says is that the only person getting burned is yourself, right? You know, if you hold on to anger, it's like fire. And actually, that's exactly what it is. So when you um, when you f- are full of like uh, <clears throat> an emotion like anger, and you maybe you suppress it, you don't resolve it. What happens is that you have this inner fight and flight response that is just switched on all the time and this causes you to basically produce a lot of adrenaline it causes vasoconstriction tension it disrupts the entire metabolic processes of your body and in the end it will attack wherever's weakest and actually our cells came together for a reason right like if you imagine back in the day we were all unicellular organisms and bacteria and and you know things like that so they would constantly be fighting with each other for territory and space. And then one day they came together on the foundations of love, connection, trust, and cooperation rather than uh, competition. And they formed a multicellular organism. So actually every single cell in our body uh, has evolved from this idea of coming together to create something more superior than on its own, individual. That's why we're a plethora, you know, we have so many different microbial cells, three times more bacterial cells, it's gut microbiome, and it all works in harmony with each other. But according to the Vedic system, these negative, emo- these, these emotions that are supposed to teach us something, if you don't learn the lesson, if you don't do something about it, eventually what happens is it causes this disturbance and this whole ho- like harmony, homeostasis of your entire living system. And that's when disease kicks in. So that's exactly what happened to me. So you, I had to make peace with my situation. I had to make peace with my perception of reality, of life events, and even the past. So a lot of forgiveness had to be done, a lot of um, forgiveness for myself. And, and also, I had to change the perception of that, that uh, career that I got sucked into. And rather than hating it, I looked at it as a gift because my Swami said, look, you've got a gift. If you can help others, you know, you'd be an amazing role model. By healing yourself, you could help so many people, inspire so many people because you're a pharmacist. 
So I use that as to my favor. And actually, the psychological stuff really got resolved very quickly just by just changing perception. But the breathing techniques, what they do is they start to strengthen your nervous system and bring about this energetic balance, harmony in your body. So these breathing techniques are based on rhythmic breathing, right? And what I do is I use music to make it really rhythmical and smooth. And when you use rhythm, and there's one technique in pranayama called kumbhaka, breath retention. What the breath retention does is it actually gives you a positive stress response. It basically gives you a bit of a kick to the nervous system, which actually forces you to adapt, to grow stronger. So I was using these techniques of basically initiating a hormetic stress. It's basically a positive stress body. Uh, so one of them is you do through breathing. Another one is you can do it in a sauna. So I'm really a big fan of saunas. And you can use the sauna like a church. And what I did was I used the breathing techniques in the sauna with these visualization techniques to invoke a healing response in the body. And these are like, these are now accepted things like in hypnosis, you can basically imagine a state of healing and your body can invoke healing in that area. And you can also do the a, a nocebo effect. In some cases, you can actually make yourself worse. They've done this under hypnosis. You can create like even like a burn uh, sensation just by thinking it and believing it. So I, I really studied this power of hypnosis, hypnotherapy, self-hypnosis, guided meditation, and these ancient kind of techniques. So hypnosis really is just an evolution of guided meditations from, from the yogic system. And I came up with my own kind of process. And literally doing that, then using the Ayurvedic lifestyle changes with the diet, nutrition, discovered this substance called colostrum, which is amazing. It heals the lining of the gut. So colostrums, are, I mean, that's a whole another conversation itself. And just literally just focusing on my passion, that was a big part of it, like discovering my love for music again. And, and I think I actually, I actually know quite a lot of artists who suffer from osteoclitis. And it's this constant struggle of the starving artist, right? How do I make a living? And you know that's all you can do. Like you can't fit into a normal nine to five. And there's all this fear and this fear manifests eventually. So... There is a link, I think, between artists and autoimmune issues, stress, and trying to fit into a robotic kind of way of life. So a few things had to have happened for me to really get well. One of them was also discovering how to turn my talent into a, an income stream, you know, using the internet, leveraging those tools. So the, becoming location independent, so I didn't have to live in England, things like that, getting out of that crazy environment. So yeah, that, that's pretty much in a nutshell. But what we've created is this Soma Breath School, which has that system in there and also how to use it for different purposes, not just for healing. I want to get there in a second, but first of all, what you just said is very interesting because I've gone through that myself. I was a uh, touring musician until I was 40 or so, and I had off and on ulcers. Oh, interesting. The best day of my life was the day I decided to give that up. Touring. Yeah, I was on a horrible tour with a with someone who, who was relatively famous. And it was just so horrible that at the end it was like, I can't do this anymore. And the weight went off of my shoulders. 
and I never felt better. And things have just gotten better since then as a result. Amazing. You followed your heart. I guess that's what happened. I'll tell you what really did happen is I stopped following what I thought I should be following. There's something that we tell ourselves that we should be doing and we identify with a, a certain lifestyle, shall we say. I thought I identified with that, but I really didn't when it was all said and done. I appreciate what you're saying, yeah. That's exactly what happened to me, yeah, fully. Let's talk about Soma Breath. Sure. So Soma Breath uh, is, actually, I kind of got into it by accident. So for a while, I was, um, I had this therapeutic music business. So I was making the music for therapists and it was, I had no intention of being a breathwork facilitator. But what happened was I, I, I basically started to put the music to the breath, like, and really focus on this one technique, Kumbhaka, which can take you into, well, ryth rhythmic breathing and breath potential into profound altered states of consciousness. So, and, you know, being, spending time with Wim as well, I got a lot of belief like into the breath because breath the thing with breath is it was not very well understood at how important it is Wim Hof came along and he woke the whole world up to to the power of it and uh but I knew it was extremely important uh when I was healing myself it was a big part of that but it wasn't something that was easy to to talk about not everyone really was aware of it and then then suddenly everyone became like into breath work so I, I was living in this island, Kopangan, uh, in Thailand, where I'm right now. And on the beach, I would like play this music I'd make, which is kind of this very rhythmic kind of tribal sort of music with ambient sounds and stuff. And I would literally do with just four or five people, little breathwork ceremonies. I call them ceremonies. And by set, you know, setting intentions, getting into like, meditative state using visualizations supercharging yourself with a breath and i would have these incredible results with just five six people people were having incredible results what does that mean exactly incredible results what does that mean like people were having like these kind of super psychedelic like trippy journeys you know where they're like having conversations with god or seeing these dmt spirals or or making peace with their you know, their dad or something, you know, who they never got a chance to say, you know, mm -hmm. goodbye to or say sorry to or whatever. So things, weird things like that, right? Which you, you'd expect from a psychedelic trip, like if you did mushrooms or something. So I, I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. This is something interesting. Anyway, then I started to, by accident, I started to do it at events, like little conference. There's a company called Mind Valley, and they do this big event called A-Fest. And there I started to do it with, few people then it turned into 10 people 30 people in the end i had 60 people in the basement of a hotel with nasa scientists measuring people's brain waves you happen to be at this event as well using these brain map tools and it was such an incredible result. i was like this is it i now know what i want to do and it was now me stepping up rather than being behind the scenes doing the music for all these people i was like i can do this so I went really deep. I kind of really perfected the technique with the rhythmic music, rhythmic breathing with music and breath retentions in a sequence. So there's a certain uh, pranayama techniques that basically gives you 
very, very powerful health benefits, right? But with longer sessions, it takes you into these real powerful, like, all to say it's consciousness. So I, start, I literally started to do it with, like, 100 people, 200 people, 300 people events. Like, I was on stage with, like, these massive screens, psychedelic visuals, and people just having full body orgasms and, you know, like, profound, like, visions and things. All walks of life, you know, you had like much older people, you had young people, the kids were into it. It was wild. So I knew I was something onto something. And I never wanted to actually turn it into a school. I never thought this would be a school. I just thought it was a fun thing that I used to do. But this one guy I met called, uh, he's a, he was the founder of, uh, called Jeffrey Perlman, he's a founder of Zumba. He said, um, dude, you got to do something with this. I'll back you, I'll support you. So he, he encouraged me. There's another guy called John Davey, who's my business partner, who had built an amazing school with Marissa Peer, uh, who's a hypnotherapist. And she was using my music. And he said, look, I will support you. This is, you're onto something huge here. So all these people kept saying, like, you got to do something with this. So, so I was like, all right. And then eventually I, I made a training. And actually a lot of people would come up to him and say, how do I learn to, be a, to do what you just did on stage? And I never thought about it, but then I ended up making a certification on how to do this, this basically these ceremonies, these events, these workshops. And in literally in two years, less than two years, I'd say, we've had almost a thousand instructors around the world. And what I've done is I've improved the training, so I've made it more holistic. So first it starts off with the breath, then it moves into all of the things that I learned through Ayurveda and somatic healing techniques and and now it's turned into a really good like powerful school uh around holistic health you know i, I want to go back to the pharmacist part of you for a second yeah so you've seen things on both sides you've seen it on the spiritual side and on the traditional side are there medications that you feel are helpful to people yeah. I understand that we're generally over medicated and I've seen this with my parents where they you know, they'd each have thirty pills to take during a day and they'd be whacked out. So I, I understand completely where you're coming from on that, but are there certain medications that you feel are helpful or essential? Yeah, yeah, I think they are to a certain degree. As I said, it's the ice on the wound analogy, right? They mm. they are there as emergency treatments. So if you Literally, they're amazing. Doctors are amazing at saving your life. Say you have a car crash and you need an operation or you have a heart attack or, you know, stuff like that. They're brilliant at emergencies. It's when we get to, to using drugs for chronic issues that we have a problem. Because, as I said, the cause is not something you can fix chemically. It's, these are energetic things that need to be resolved. So medications aren't intelligent like that. That's why you end up with like 30, 40 pills. If, if drugs are intelligent, you wouldn't need... 30 pills, you just take one and it fix all your problems, but they're not, they're just chemicals. So, so medicine is good to a point. And where we come in with what we do and so my breath is, so what I believe is we all have an inner pharmacy. Okay. And I'll tell you a bit about the story. So you understand the context and why I believe we have an inner pharmacy. So thousands and thousands of years ago, there was this legend of Soma. All right. And, the Rig Veda is where this was told, is the most, world's most ancient religious manuscript. 
No one actually knows its true age. But in there, what it talks about is this time when the rishis, the ancient people, were addicted to this substance called soma. And this, this substance soma would give them immortality. It would give them um, everlasting health. You know, it would give them divine connection. You know, so basically it was like a miracle substance. And what happened was the soma runs out. So if everyone's addicted to it and dependent on it for their longevity. So they were like, shit, we've got to figure out a way to make this internally. So they go inward to discover how to create the soma within. And that led to the invention of Tantra. Tantra basically is basically all the how-to of how to tap into the body to tap into this inner pharmacy. So imagine we create all of the substances that exist in nature already, but there are methods to unlock it. So just like imagine your mind is an operating system, there is a code that your mind operates from which unlocks its own ability to make certain chemicals, hormones, substances, right, which lead to results. So the breath actually happens to be the foundation, the core. And we've been told that we have no ability to tap into autonomic nervous system by the scientific establishment, which is bullshit. This has been proven over and over again, like Swami Rama first in the 70s, Wim Hof's done it, I showed it through healing myself, other people have done it. Basically, with the breath, the breath is the thing that we have conscious control over, but also runs on autopilot, right? We take it for granted. So therefore, with the breath, we can tap in to the autonomic processes. These are the things like your heart rate, your immune system, digestive system, the run on autopilot, the hormonal system that triggers all this. And by breathing out, for example, longer than you breathe in, you stimulate parasympathetic. Breathing in longer than you breathe out, you stimulate sympathetic, all right? So there, there already you have a method tap into both sides of the nervous system, rest and digest and fight and flight or adrenaline. So with different rhythms, different sequences of breath, with holding your breath, kumbhaka, we can actually modulate the hormonal system. With breath retention, we can actually train our cells to become so efficient at using oxygen, right? And here's the thing. Oxygen is the problem. I call this the oxygen paradox. A guy called Helmut Sees coined the term oxidative stress and he says that although it's impossible to live without oxygen it's also very difficult to live with oxygen all right because of oxidative stress it causes corrosion in the arteries it causes inflammation and all that if you over breathe and don't have the right balance of the gases in the system and most of us are stressed we over breathe we use up too much oxygen it causes combustion too much fire internal fire and we get stressed but basically the pranayama system is all about balancing that that system that that gas system that we have and um, the more efficient you use in oxygen the less you need to breathe it means your breathing rate slows right down okay now here's why this is important so pranayama was created by studying animals in nature animals that live a very long period of time like elephants turtles they have very very slow breathing rates two to four breaths per minute Animals that live very fast, uh, very short um, lifespans, like one to two years, are basically like rats and mice, rodents. They have very uh, fast breathing rates. So they're not very efficient using oxygen, right? Humans have the conscious ability to control our breath. And then there's some other animals that do this. So the mice are, uh, the 
sorry, we're talking about the. Uh, they're called the. Uh, there's this. These are uh, naked mole rats. Who are these weird rats? Right. They basically live underground, and they can hold their breath up to like 18 minutes. And guess what? They live 30 years. Right. They live free of disease. They try to give them cancer. They don't get cancer. They're super robust creatures. And the only difference between them and rats is uh, that they live predominantly in hypoxic conditions. Now, check this out as well. So they're studying uh, humans. Like yogis go and live up in the Himalayas, right? Very low oxygen environments, high carbon dioxide. And there's a reason why they do it because they understand this oxygen paradox, right? And the whales, for example, whales can hold their breath up to two, years, uh, uh, two, two hours, sorry, and they live like 200 years or more. So I think the yogis understood this problem of oxygen, and they devised the entire system to be so efficient using oxygen, they basically creates a much stronger, hardier system, right? And then you won't need to have so many pills because your body creates its own resilience to stress. And so what we're all about is training you for oxygen efficiency. Soma breath is really about that and bring your overall breathing rate right down. You look at the studies on the benefits of slow breathing that have been published just by being, having very slow breathing, you have less blood pressure. You have much lower blood pressure. You have less risk of, uh, inflammatory can diseases you're happier your mood improves everything gets better right so why do you take all these pills you're taking them for your mood you're taking antidepressants for your mood you're taking um you know pills for your blood pressure you're taking inflammation a pill anti-inflammatories so you're basically taking something for everything that your body should do itself it's like you're like the science is saying you don't have any control over your own system we have to give you the control with these drugs, which is not true. So what we're about is bringing people back to their own innate intelligence, body somatic intelligence, creating harmony, becoming super efficient as oxygen, and then eventually you don't need to take the pill. But you might need them in the first place, in the first instance, just to bring inflammation down to a more safe level. Because inflammation that goes out of control can actually cause more damage. The problem with it is that if you take, keep taking it, right, you become dependent on it. You get hooked to it, like the soma. Rishi is getting hooked on the soma. So we've got to, there's a fine line between using drugs for a short time and a longer period of time. A doctor needs to be very mindful of this. More and more doctors are now being aware of the harm they cause through like multi poly, polys prescribing basically, and which is great. But I'm really concerned right now because there's so much crazy censorship going on. You know, this whole coronavirus thing has been an absolute farce of science. You know, so many doctors being ignored. It's like we forgot that we have an immune system. You know, it's just madness. So we're all about just common sense, man. Come on. Body is designed to heal itself. Give it the right tools, the right ingredients, and it can how does this apply to musicians that are under stress? And what I mean specifically, there's two cases, just that I can think of because I, I experienced it myself, but everybody does. The one is being on the road 
and being on the road for a long period of time where even if you don't party, it's a tough lifestyle. Yes. And you get burnt out. Yes. So how would this apply in that case? Now, th there's another one which you're under stress in the studio because of clients, because of a deadline, because of, you know, any number of things, but it's shorter term. But nonetheless, there's a stress there that you have to somehow negate or else it begins to take its toll on you. So how would this apply? Brilliant. So I think a lot of the stress from being on the road comes from lack of sleep and eating food that is, you know, available. Like you may not be able to eat the healthiest options. So, so lack of sleep is one of the real big problems in the world, right? And that has to be solved. So if that is an issue, you've got to use time during the day to power nap. Power naps are super important. And actually with our, so what I've created is I've created like what I call like digital pills. They're basically breathing tracks with music, like sessions, you know, some are like 11, 12 minutes long, some are like 20 minutes, some are like an hour long, depending on what your, what your intention is. And the idea is that like you, there's one for like sleep. So you can switch off, go off, put on your headphones, play the track and get into very deep restful states during the day. And just having a 15 minute power nap every day can supercharge you and mean that you don't need to sleep as many hours at night, right? Another thing with this is when you become very efficient using oxygen, your hunger goes down and your sleep, get you need less sleep because you're doing actually through the breathing technique, some of the work that you do at, in deep sleep, you're doing it consciously. So actually you'll find that you might even not need as much sleep. So that's why getting into this lifestyle that I'm talking about will make you very resilient to the stress of touring and all of this stuff. Basically also, I would recommend if you're on the road, you've got to get some food-based supplements uh, for your nutrition. I, I'd go for Moringa. Moringa is an amazing superfood supplement. It gives you everything you need. And it's also anti-inflammatory in nature in itself. And you can make, you can get Moringa capsules. You can, you know, you can make like smoothies out of it. Other things is like, if you're going to have coffee, if you love coffee, then I would actually recommend an alternative. All right. Um, one alternative to just standard coffee is to, you should put ghee into it, blend it with ghee. And it is a much more um, long lasting energy source for your body. So like the ghee and ghee and coffee taste delicious together. Actually, it's like better than any coffee you buy from Starbucks. A little bit of honey, you can add cacao to it. Uh, I'm actually having one right now. And it gives you energy for several hours. So you can live off this stuff, right? You don't need to eat all the junk that you find in the airports and stuff. But another alternative, and this is one of my little hacks, is Kratom. Have you heard of Kratom? Yes. Kratom? Yes. So a small dose Kratom. So I'm talking like two grams, one to two grams. Get the green right you can blend it with some white even red is good but have that during the evenings because it's sedating what it does is it acts like a bit like a nootropic is anti-inflammatory is actually very a field with a lot of like good nutrition as well very rich in um uh flavonoids 
and um, other kind of cancer-protecting ingredients because it's related to coffee. Uh, coffee is full of um, you know, antioxidants and things. And basically, what it does is it also seems to take away the negative voice a little bit. So if you suffer a lot from that swirling negative voice, it could also be because you're in an environment which you don't want to be in, really. And you're just, oh, you're just always like, oh. internally, you're going, it can give you a little bit more enthusiasm for getting on with the day, right? So I, I, it's like a natural anti-inflammatory, uh, natural antidepressant. So that could be really good. Like in Thailand, where we are now, the locals take it all the time. They use, they've used it for thousands of years. It got banned because it was, it was competition to the opium industry. It's a long story. But uh, it's now like, about to become legal again. I mean, the, the government needs to figure out ways to make money now. So, so basically, the locals use it for energy. So they would work really hard on the rice fields. In Bali, it's Indonesia, it's legal. They would use it as a way to just get through harsh, super heat, working on the fields kind of day. And it's part of their tradition. Like it's a traditional medicine. It helps with stomach uh, issues in low doses and and, thing, and pain relief. So that's another thing you could take take during that time that you're doing a heavy touring. Uh, you know, just stick to the dose. Don't go overboard because it can get addictive. That's what I recommend. How do, does someone find out more about Soma Breath? Uh, simplest way is go to somabreath.com. Sign up for our masterclass. Check it out. You'll learn a lot of information for free. Also in our YouTube channel, there's Soma Breath uh, YouTube channel. So much stuff for free. You can try out a lot of our meditations for free. The more deeper altered states stuff, which really takes you into this divine connection with, with the, whoever your God is, that we say you must do with instructors. Like, so we have an instructor network who are trained in these techniques, as well as other somatic therapeutic techniques. So with Soma Breath, the lifestyle that I've created with our 21 day, so our 21 day is designed, a 21 day awakening journey it's called, is designed to teach you meditation, to teach you pranayama, to, to, to give you a very easy way to do that and ingrain good habits for your, your health, like looking after your health and getting into a good lifestyle. And basically, I recommend if you follow that, you can actually protect yourself from a lot of stress-related issues. You know, so if you're into touring and working hard and you know, in the music industry, it's, I think it's an invaluable tool. That's the best way. You can find out more about Naraj and Soma Breath at somabreath.com. That's S-O-M-A-B-R-E-A-T-H, Soma Breath, all one word, dot com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyoinnercircle.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com, or you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyoinnercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-in form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time.